The sermon today has one verse as a text. I'm out of time, but I'm going to preach it. But watch this. This will be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. Okay? Here is the text, and it is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Let me make the points. The birth is the beginning. It's the same word as Genesis. It's the same word as in verse 1 of chapter 1, where it says the genealogy. This is the beginning of Jesus. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed, and betrothal was analogous to our engagement, but much more intense, because people can break engagements, but you could not break a betrothal. The way to break in a betrothal was either divorce or death. And once your husband died, you were a widow, and that's what you were called. And you were called a wife or a husband while you were betrothed because the next verse refers to Joseph as Mary's husband. All right? Verse 19, which is not our text, and that's why it's not up there, I don't think, is it? Nope. And so what we see, listen carefully, is that this contractual commitment of two families and a man and a woman was so intense that it couldn't be broken without divorce or death. And what? Before they came together. And this is helpful. Because what this teaches us is that despite the absolute commitment of that relationship, they were pure. They were not impure with each other. And so Mary then was a fitting vessel for Jesus Christ. Do we all see the application? We are Christians. And therefore, we do not engage in sex before marriage. At the end of the betrothal was a time of great joy. Why? Because the cookies had not been stolen. And so when they had that banquet at the end of the betrothal, everybody knew what was being celebrated. At the end of the betrothal, she went from her father's house to her husband's house. And they made love. And so the application of this is, we as a church do not give ourselves to sexual immorality. And if we do, it's disciplined. Okay? And so you children, right now, commit yourself that you will not have sex with a man, with a woman, until after the banquet. Okay? After the banquet. Just fix that in your brain. Okay? After the banquet. Because otherwise, the banquet's a, it's a sham. Okay? And the fact that some of us have been sinful in this is no excuse for those of you who haven't. God will hold 
you accountable. So when do you have intercourse? When do you get intimate with the woman that you're engaged to? Say it again. After the banquet. After the banquet. Okay, that's number one. Number two. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Was the baby being nursed by her? No. In her womb, she was with child. And so what this means is that God did not despise womanhood. This child was nursed at the breast of Mary, and therefore all women who nurse children are dignified by Christ feeding from his mother. Right? But then the womb also, because he spent the nine months in the womb. And so women who are with child are dignified by Christ, despising not the virgin's womb. And so what a precious gift to women to think that it was God's plan and God's intent for his son to dwell in the warm and the moist environment of her body for nine months. You know, if I were to say to you that it's precious to a 12-year-old that slightly prepubescent youth, the awkwardness and horror of it, Jesus went through. We'd all find some comfort in that because we remember how horrible that was. It's almost incomprehensible to think of Jesus having pimples, right? (laughs) But now put yourself back where the only way he knew to let his mother know that he was hungry was he cried. And then move it back further that he was kicking in the womb. And he spent the full term in the womb. And so what a precious statement of God's dignity, of the dignity that God has given to womanhood. Jesus participated fully in the womb of a woman. He was born. What a beautiful thing. Now, one last application and we're done. This last week, we had the terrible tragedy in Connecticut, and 20 children were murdered. And the whole nation is very, very united in mourning the loss of those children. But you can't see that without wondering, why is the nation not united in the mourning of the 1.3 million every year that die at the hands of their parents? And you know what the difference is? We're free to mourn when the parents have declared the life to be wanted. When the child's life is unwanted, we hold back because we think that parents give personhood and value to a a little baby. But that's not true. God places his image in the child in the womb. And so it says that she was with child. And so Jesus in the womb had personhood, and it was not a condition of Mary's in the morning she was okay with it, at night she felt depressed. (laughs) You know, you think of the variability of the emotions of a woman who's pregnant. It had nothing to do with the glory of that child. 
that child had glory because God had created that child. And every child is created by God and has the glory of the image. That's why scripture says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by, his, by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he created him. And so what this means is that these children are no more valuable than the little ones in their mother's wombs right now. They're no more valuable than the little ones who were killed this last week in abortuaries around the country. And what is their value? Their value is that they are image bearers of the glory of God. It's a great tragedy, but I want to make one thing very, very clear to you. The difference between Jesus and those 20 children who were killed and all the many thousands who were killed by abortion this last week in our country, okay, is that Jesus in the womb was perfect. In the womb, he was the spotless lamb of God. In the womb, he had no stain of original sin. In the womb, he had not inherited the sin of Adam. Whereas David speaks for every other child who's ever been in the womb or born when he says, in sin did my mother conceive me. And so as we mourn any children, we must recognize that not one of those children is ever innocent. In the womb, no child is innocent. Because in the womb, they have been conceived in sin of their federal head, Adam. And so little children who die at five or six or seven or eight or nine years old, and little children who are miscarried in the womb, cannot come to the Father and to the kingdom of God except through Jesus Christ. Because they are stained by Adam's sin. Are you with me? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the Bible is very clear in saying, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so when we talk about the death of innocent children, it's proper to say that as long as we understand that that innocence we're speaking of is in comparison to you and me. In comparison to me, those children in that school were innocent. But can those children go to heaven without the blood of Jesus Christ? No, they can't. And so you say, well, what are you saying about those children? And my response is, I already said it. There is none righteous, no, not one. No man can come to the Father unless, to Jesus unless the Father draws, draws him. And there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so when we look at our children in our womb, we don't take for granted that they're safe, but we pray for them. We claim God's promises for our children. We pray for other children. All right? Does this make sense to you? It's okay to speak of them as being innocent children. But then you must correct yourself immediately if there are people who are ignorant and say to them, nevertheless, those children can only come 
to heaven and to the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, then what hope is them? They can't pray the sinner's prayer. And I say, you know that in the womb, Jeremiah was set apart by God and known by God. These things are mysteries, all right? We don't know God's dispensation. The scripture says in Deuteronomy 29 that the secret things belong to God and the revealed things to us and to our children. And so we must not be heartless and cruel and unfeeling and uncaring, but we must not be sentimental and romantic either. Every child from the moment of conception is sinful. Now, one last little thing I'm going to sneak in and I'll be done. That includes the Blessed Virgin Mary. (laughs) Okay? The Roman Catholic Church teaches that the Blessed Virgin Mary had an immaculate conception whereby the stain of original sin never hit her. And they're wrong. And there's nothing in Scripture to support that statement. And so this is, again, a place where it's very clear that Mary, in the Roman Catholic Church, foments idolatry. Not the real Mary, but the kinder, gentler God that they have made her to be. Mary was conceived in sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus is the only spotless Lamb of God. Mary is not somewhere in between Jesus and us. Mary is a man. And I don't mean by that she's sexually a man. What I mean is she is a descendant of Adam. And so she is stained by original sin. And so the Immaculate Conception that the Roman Catholic Church teaches as dogma is a lie. It is not biblical. And it creates Mary having a position that makes you feel like you have a special in with God by approaching him through this immaculate conception virgin. No, you don't have it. And this is one more area where those who are in the Roman Catholic Church are against Scripture and place the souls of those who want to approach God through Mary, instead of Jesus, are misled to the detriment of their souls. And if you think that it's objectionable that I said this here today, because we live in a time when we understand Roman Catholicism better, you have never read one of the Reformers. Because whenever I bring this up, I am absolutely tame compared to any of the Reformers. There are things that are at stake between Protestants and Catholics. Okay, let's pray. Father, we pray that you will give us the spirit of meekness and submission to your word and that we will not allow those godly men and women who have gone before us to mislead us away from obedience to your word. We pray that we will desire it as pure milk. We pray that we will find it sweeter than honey. We pray that you will comfort the parents of these children and that you will cause those who do not know Jesus Christ to flee to the cross. And we pray that our children will believe in their Savior, Jesus Christ, 
and then will give themselves to purity before marriage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.